we need a spiritual awakening in America. Most of the times when the great power of God has failed, it's been in the midst of a spiritual awakening. <coughs> Revivals are when we begin to uh, see the church fall in love with God all over again. Spiritual awakenings are something entirely different. I'm afraid that one of the great tragedies of the 1900s is that we have tried to revive something that never had life to begin. And the only way that something can live again, you know, to stir the flames is to have a flame. has to be something there. We've been looking at a series of messages over the last several weeks, living in transitional times. Very applicable to where we are as a faith family, also where we are as a country. I begin to think about the next couple of weeks as we march towards Christmas. Man, you talk about one of the greatest transitions in all the world was Christmas morning. I mean, it went away with the old and came in with the, with the whole new. If you have your Bible this morning, if you'll turn it to two books, the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. <clears throat> And the book of Luke, chapter 2. If you have your place there, we're going to begin reading in the book of Luke. I want to speak to you this morning on the great shake-up, the Christmas shake-up. Christmas will shake up things, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. The problem is, in the world that we live in, uh, most of the times it ends up being for the negative. And you hear this more than not. I'm just ready for Christmas to be over. And when we make those statements, it normally always comes back to the fact that we are off track in where we're headed. You know, sure, man, Christmas is a great thing. I mean, it's what defines the direction of the future of our life. And the great shakeup is this that Christmas shook up some things. You know, I begin to think about this week where we are as a country and how we're shaken up. This week it shook us up again. And we look at where we are as a nation and we think, man, it's never been this bad before. <clears throat> Part of the problem, I believe, is that the generation who now is has a majority of influence in our world, the, the up-and-coming generation, if you will, uh, the younger generation, the Gen X and the millennial generation. Um, for, a, for a huge part of the, of the Generation X, uh, past the generation of the baby boomers, uh, we've had an absence of conflict as a nation. We have lived, now it doesn't mean we haven't had our, our skirmishes and our few battles here and there, but as a whole, that generation, my generation, uh, was born, has known a great deal of, of peacetime. Um, the generations previous before were quite not, were not that fortunate. Um, it, we, you know, and it, it doesn't, it, it seems like, you know, I mean, come on, it's always been difficult. Nothing's ever been easy. The very existence and birth and nature of our country was a conflict. It was wrestling against the impossible. When a bunch of colonists, colonials and farmers and 
uh, non-military personnel took on the strongest country in the world and overcame them, not by their own might and their own intellect and their own machinery, but by the intervention of a holy God. And, you know, and that was, you know, if you ever study genealogy, you realize that time, we, we're not that far back. And then it wasn't very long that there was the, the war, the other wars, the War of 1812 and the other wars that were up and coming and the, the Silver War. I mean, come on. We're so far removed from that that we have forgot how terrible that was. How there were homes and families that were divided. And blood was shed all across this great country, all across our real estate. For the direction and hope and future of a country. And then, not long after that, you know, I mean, my great-grandfather was born during the, um, the times of the Civil War. And then his son was born to a father. Uh, his father would fought in the Civil War. And then that son would live to be part of World War I. And then that next father's son would live to be part of World War II. And then on down the line to the Korean War, the Vietnam War. Now, listen, the absence of conflict does not mean there's peace in the land. And even though we have grown up in relatively peaceful times, I think one of the reasons that everybody is in turmoil is because we have never really known a time where we turned on each other. There was always a unifying. But America is being shaken. The world is being shaken to its core. But need I tell you, this isn't the first time that God was shaking things up. The world is not a stranger to being shaken. The problem is that you have to become a people of resolve and fortitude that says, I do not care what's going on in the world. I care what's going on in me. Because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Now that's easy preaching. But can I just tell you that's hard living. I mean go over to the hall of faith. And it's easy preaching to read that when it tells about. When it starts out with Abraham. I mean with Enoch, with Abraham, with Isaac. With great heroes of the faith like Moses who were victorious. Gideon and Barak and all those people. But then it says time would fail to tell of the ones who were placed in logs and sawed in two. Who wandered around desolate in the wilderness in sheepskins. Running from the enemy for the very sake of their life. Not long after the Reformation when people began to embrace Christianity. I mean, listen, when things begin to shake up when Jesus came on the scenes. And, I mean, come on, guys. He did away with the old that Christmas morning and brought about the whole new. This world is not. It's not always been the peaceful playground that we like to believe in our mind. But they always seem to overcome. Ronald Reagan said that evil prevails when good men do nothing. Evil prevails when we find ourselves in a situation where if it doesn't affect us, it doesn't matter. 
I'm glad God didn't feel that way. Now, I want you to understand that the world that we live in right now is being shaken to the very core. But it isn't the beginning of the shaking up. It's been shaken for a long time. And I want us to look at how Christmas shook things up. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God in a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin. If you want to understand who we are as a faith family, there's hills that we will die on as a faith family in our doctrine that we believe. Then there's hills that are too far away. They're not worth dying on. I call them non-essentials. They're non-essential to salvation and you making your way to heaven, entering into the kingdom of God. But I'm going to tell you what an essential to our faith is. If When I meet with you or have met with you, one of the first things that I tell you that is essential to our faith is the inerrancy of God's word because if God's word is not inerrant and it's, you believe it's fallible, then what part is true and what part isn't? If God's word isn't infallible and it isn't the absolute word of God, then I'm going to just quit what I'm doing and go do something that makes a whole lot more money. Amen. I'm just being honest. Now here's the thing that I want you to understand. The second thing that's essential in our faith, and I'm not going to preach on all these today, but the second thing is this. It's found right here. The virgin. The virgin. Say that with me. The virgin. I'm going to tell you that Mary was a virgin. I'm telling you, she wasn't slipping around. Her and Joseph wouldn't have any hanky-panky going on. The Bible says that she was a virgin. If the Word of God says she was a virgin, I believe it. Amen? And if I didn't believe it, it's still the absolute truth. She was a virgin. God doesn't need us to believe His Word to affirm His Word. Amen? And so it says that she was a virgin. And uh, right here, the angel came to her. She was engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled. Can you say amen? She was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of a greeting this could be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with the Lord. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Can you circle in your Bible that phrase, forever? Amen. Forever. I am telling you today, I don't care what's going on in Egypt. I don't care what Ahmadinejad's doing. I want you to know you will never usurp the authority and the kingship of Jesus Christ who is placed in authority by God whose kingdom there will be no end. The world may be going down, but he is in absolute control. And it goes on and says he will reign forever and the kingdom will have no end. Then Mary asked the angel an important question. Amen. How can this be since I have never been intimate with a man? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the Holy One to be born, to be born will be called the Son of God. She says, how is it? I'm a virgin. 
How is it I have never been intimate with a man? And God says, that's not for you to understand. Why? Because God's ways are not our ways. What was the first thing that God shook up with Christmas? The first thing he shook up was the natural order of birth. Here's why people won't believe the word of God. Because they cannot get past the fact that a virgin can have a baby. We can't do that in the natural. But God doesn't work in the natural. God works in the supernatural. And so one of the reasons Christmas began to shake everything up was because this virgin was having a baby. Now, now can you believe in the talk and the gossip and the bickering and the murmuring behind Mary and Joseph's back? Do you really believe the world thought that Mary was a virgin? I mean, come on, imagine your little girl coming home and saying, Daddy, I'm pregnant, but I'm a virgin. What are you going to say? Your name ain't Mary. Never before has it ever happened before. This began to shake up the natural order of things. It began to shake up Mary's family. It began to shake up Joseph's family. It began to shake up the religious group. It began to shake up everything around them. God is interested in shaking things up. Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The most simple thing, like natural birth, becomes a supernatural phenomenon in the, in the hands of a holy God. So God begins to shake this up. And look here, it's very interesting. It's the first thing that he did was in this passage of scripture, these things begin to happen. He shook them up. Why did he shake them up? So that he could fulfill what Isaiah penned over a thousand years ago. Isaiah wrote in chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What will be the sign that you know that it's Jesus Christ coming? Because a virgin shall conceive and have a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Isaiah never lived to see it, but I am telling you that under the inspiration of the Holy God, God gave him fresh revelation at where Jesus Christ was coming from. The Bible says in Hebrews at the end of the hall of faith that these all died in faith, but yet having not received the promise so that they would not be made perfect apart from us. They died waiting on the promise of Isaiah 7, 14. And one day a virgin would give birth to a baby boy and his name is Jesus and he will rock the world. They died waiting on the promise. The second thing they shook up was this. God shook up the, the people of the world. Look in your Bible in the book of Luke in chapter 2. Very interesting passage of scripture. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, everything begins to be shaken to the core. In those days, in chapter 2 and verse 1, a decree went out from Caesar Augusta. The whole world, the whole empire, the whole empire should be registered. And you thought those darn census workers just came about. They've been interested in registering people for a long time. Why? They've got to make sure they're getting their tax money. Uncle Sam's not the first one who came up with taxes. 
Matter of fact, they asked Jesus about it. You remember, he didn't have any money to pay his taxes. So he told his disciples, go down to the sea. There'll be a fish there. Open his mouth. There'll be some money in that fish. Take that money out of that fish's mouth and go pay our taxes. He render unto Caesar's what? Caesar's. And so this whole thing of taxation didn't just start about. But in this passage of scripture, it says they wanted to register them. The first registration took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria. So it, this is not the first time they've done this. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was pregnant. Now, boy, don't you know that's a... Can you believe that's in the Bible? Engaged and pregnant. While they were there, a time came to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in a snuggly cloth, laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room in the inn. The first thing that God did was he shook up the natural order. The second thing that God did was he shook up the people. I mean, understanding what God did in this passage of Scripture was he had to move all the people of Israel to the direct location. Now, why in the world would God do such a thing like that? To fulfill what he already said by another prophet. Now, understand that it wasn't just one crazy prophet in the Old Testament that wrote down all these things about the birth of Jesus, but it was all the way through, starting in the book of Genesis, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And as you surf your way through the Old Testament, riding those waves, you'll find that Isaiah talked about it, that Micah talked about it, that Jeremiah talked about it, that Hosea talked about it, and others talked about it. It was given and it was affirmed and it was given and it was affirmed and it was given and it was affirmed. But Micah wrote in chapter 5 and verse 2 something interesting. Very interesting verse. He talks about how out of Bethlehem would come the baby. Out of Bethlehem would come this baby. And so what God had to do was he had to shake up the whole world. He moved all the nation of Israel. Oh, come on, church, wake up and get with me on this. God moved the whole lineage of Israel to the place where they were born. They found their place in Bethlehem. They found their place in Ephraim. They planned their face in, in all of these faces, places. They went and found their place. Why? God was moving them all. Oh, there was old, there was old Caesar thinking, they, they, I'm bringing them here so that I can tax them. God was thinking, uh-uh, sir, I'm just letting you use your legislative authority to move them in the direction that I might line up the supernatural provision of my thrice holiness that my son may be born in a manger in the middle of Bethlehem. I'm telling you, God began to shake up the natural order. God began to shake up all of Israel. Don't you know there was some murmuring and complaining? Imagine, imagine how much you murmur and complain when you have to pay your taxes. I do. Imagine how much you murmur and complain when that census worker starts bugging you. I mean, I'm getting all, that, that government worker's getting all his money out of me because I don't answer it to the last minute. 
I don't want to take time for him. And he's coming to my house. He's calling me on the phone. <coughs> Imagine if I had to get my family, put them in a cart, place them on a mule, and journey all the way back just so I could have my head counted. Now, can you say there was some murmuring and complaining? Why was all this happening? It really had nothing to do with the census, but what God had to do was he had to move all of Israel to the place of their birth so that he could get Joseph to the place of his birth, which was predicted to be Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Oh, come on, church. God was fulfilling what he had already promised through Micah hundreds of years before so that he might get them there, line them up properly. Why in the world did God have all the ends filled up? Not because he was trying to be not because he was trying to be mean to Mary and Joseph. He brought them there so there'd be no room in the end, so that the king of glory, the one who created the universe, would find himself surrounded by the lowest things in the world, so that from the lowest place in the world he might rise up to be the conqueror, the king of kings, and the Lord of Lords. Give him glory in the house of the Lord today. He shook up. The people of the world. He shook up the natural order. He shook up also the heavens. Continue with me in the book of Luke in chapter 2 and verse 8. Oh, it gets better. I mean, there were some shepherds. They were minding their own business. They were out there doing what shepherds do. They were probably sitting around a campfire. It was night. They had been protecting the sheep. And all of a sudden it says in that same region those shepherds were staying there out in the fields and keeping watch over their, at night over their flock. Go a little bit further with me. It continues to grow and continues to develop. I mean, can you see this? They're out there. They're minding their own business. They're in the field. They're keeping watch over their animals. It says in verse 9, And the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terrified. Can you say amen? Huh? Come on. I mean, you're out there telling your old stories. Your buddy's done heard that one five times. You're dozing off. All of a sudden, all the glory of the Lord shows up in the night sky. But the angel of the Lord said, do not be afraid. I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, a Savior who is the Messiah was born for, was born for, was born for, was born for, was born for you. Oh, my goodness. Come on, church. Look at this. I mean, I know you may be scrooging at your house thinking, I just wish January would get here and Christmas would be over. But let me tell you something, honey. Christmas was delivered for you. For you. And for you. And for me. I mean, they were out there minding their own business, doing what shepherds do, and then all of a sudden the glory of the Lord showed up and said, hey, there's a Messiah in Bethlehem. And you know what, shepherds? I'm telling you, the shepherds probably thought they were the lowest job in the whole world. They weren't with the, the, uh, they weren't with the city folks. They weren't doing life in the city where everything was moving and shaking. First drive-in theater. Lit up the night sky. With these shepherds. I'm telling you. Today. Is born in the city of David. 
God shook up all the inhabitants so that he could get them to the city of David so that he could do what? Fulfill what he promised. This will be your sign. You will find that baby wrapped in snuggling clothes lying in a manger. Oh, my. There he'll be laying there. And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And, and glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. Can I just stop right here for a second? An angel was assigned. He, you remember I told you he shook up the heavens? Here's how he did it. There was an angel, Gabriel, who was assigned to go tell Elizabeth she was having a baby, to go tell Mary she was having a baby. I bet he was thinking, Lord, what am I? Am I the birth announcer of heaven? Yes, sir, you are. Then he sends one angel to go tell the shepherds in his glory. The glory's there, the angel's there. Tells him all the things we just read. Here's why the heavens were shook up. You ready? This angel's there. And he's saying, hey, shepherds, you will find this baby wrapped in snuggly clothes. This wasn't a snuggie. You will find this baby wrapped in these swaddling snuggly clothes, laying in a manger, lying in a feeding trough. But he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And then all of a sudden, while this angel's speaking, all of a sudden, all of heaven starts shouting, saying, Glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards all men. Come on, church, are you picking up what I'm putting down? I mean, this angel was sent to tell the shepherds, but all of heaven couldn't constrain itself. Why? Because the chosen one, the lamb that had been slain before the foundation of the world, the one that the Old Testament saints died waiting for the promise, was now entering into the earthly atmosphere on a heavenly mission. I'm telling you something. Jesus Christ did not get tired of kicking up gold dust. Decided to take himself a field trip down to planet earth. See how things were going. He was on a mission to seek and to save. Those which were lost. God shook up all of Israel. He shook up all the heavens. The angels couldn't contain themselves. But he shook up something else too. Uh-huh. I got more than three points today. You got lunch at church. Good news for you, though, my family is waiting to do Christmas today. Amen. He shook up the heavens, but he shook up the stars. I ask you to turn to Matthew. Go there in your Bible. While you're turning there, I'll tell you the end of the shepherds. They came, found it just like Jesus said. And they knelt down and began to worship him. There's a whole message in the shepherds and what they did and how they left their sheep, left their livelihood and went and found this one who was called the Messiah. Why would they do that? Because the angel, I asked Pastor Ralph this this week, why would those shepherds leave their, why would those shepherds leave their flocks to go to, they, 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 they didn't play a part in fulfillment of biblical prophecy. So what was their role? Their role was this, 
that they receive their new birth announcement that they may be born again in Jesus Christ, that that Savior was for them. Say that with me, for them. You can do better than that, for them. And they were like, man, if that's for me, I'm going to get it. And then in chapter 2 of Matthew, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived. Circle this, unexpectedly. Say that with me, unexpectedly. They arrived unexpectedly. Herod was minding his own business, and all of a sudden these wise men came. They came from afar. I love the story of the town of Missouri that <clears throat> had their nativity scene set up. Government had not taken it away yet. And there's everything just like it was supposed to be, but there was three firemen nailing, three firemen standing there at the manger. A stranger passing through town, that really puzzled him. Stopped at the store and <clears throat> bought a drink on the way out of town. He asked the cashier, he said, I just got a question. I understand that nativity scene, it's wonderful, but I just got to know what's the three firemen got to do with it. He said, well, you don't get it either. He said, no. The Bible says they came from afar. <laughs> anyway, let that speak to you, whatever that means. <laughs> they came from afar, unexpectedly. And Jerusalem saying, where is he? Where is he? Where is who? Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. We have a king. His name's Herod. God began to shake up the stars. The star appeared. These wise men saw the star. And we're not talking about the angel. We're talking about the star. He moved around the consolation. He can do that. He owns them. He's in charge of them. He hangs them. He tells them when to shine. He tells one when to fall. He tells one when to shine no longer. And he moved the consolation around. Can you say shaking up the stars? I mean, he was moving them around to get that star to line up over Bethlehem where who was there? The king, the baby, the savior, Jesus. All of a sudden, man, he said, we've come to worship him. We've seen his star in the east. Now let's skip down. Verse 7, then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked the exact time of the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. He summoned, Herod summoned all the chief priests and scribes and asked them when the star appeared. Verse 5 says, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him because that is what was written in Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, and you, Bethlehem, I'm sorry, Hosea, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, and by the means, no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people. Then Herod had summoned them secretly and said, when you find him, come back and tell me where he's at. I want to worship him also. He shook up the stars. But he shook up the government. Go back to verse 3. 
when Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. Deeply disturbed. Why? Here's these three wise men looking for the king. I'm the king. I'm the king. There can only be one king. And so verse 9 says, After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was again. He shook up the stars that they had seen in the east, and it led them until it came and stood above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond a measure. Hmm, they'd have been labeled a charismatic. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented with him, him with gifts of gold for a king, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up and take the child and the mother. Flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. Now, he went to Egypt because when Jesus starts his ministry, he had to fulfill another scripture out of Hosea that says out of Egypt he would come. He stayed there until Herod's death so that was, that what was spoken of the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled out of Egypt, I will call my son. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage and he gave orders to massacre all the male children who were born about the time of Jesus in Bethlehem. He shook up the government. Can I just tell you, this business of the government hating Jesus didn't just start in our lifetime. We've got to pull our head out of the sand and realize that we're not these people who's the first one to ever live through hardships. We've got to realize that we're not the first people to have the name of Jesus expelled from public arenas. We've got to realize that we're not the first group of people that no longer appreciate, long for, and desire Jesus to be Lord of their life. It's been going on for thousands of years. Thousands of years. The question is not, will it stop? Because it's not going to stop. We would be naive and foolish to think that it would stop. One of the reasons we have lived under a ceasefire for a long time in America is because America was, was united in a group of people whose one passion was to honor God with all that they did. The problem is now, for about 50 years, we've been living our life oppositely. Our heart breaks. Our president weeps. You weep for children that died this week. But our president doesn't even blink at the thought of killing babies every day that never leave the womb. Now, I'm not getting on a soapbox here, but I'm just saying something's a little jacked up. Amen. That's not good English, but it's good preaching. Something's hijacked. And it didn't just start 
question is, God shook up the natural order. He shook up the people of the world. He shook up all of heaven. He shook up the stars. He shook up the government. But has God ever shaken you? You cannot meet Jesus and leave the same. You cannot embrace him as Lord and leave the same way that you came. It's impossible. It's impossible. Every one of the people in this story went against what was common sense. Shepherd left their sheep. Joseph stayed with his, with his bride-to-be, first of all. He believed God when God gave him a word. The shepherd left their sheep. The wise men turned and outwitted and staked their lives out on one of the most powerful people in the world at the time. Joseph fled for safety in another country. Left what was home to him. So that he might follow the voice of God. Do you see folks that every one of these was a great transition? None of the transforming things that happened Christmas morning happened without a transition. And I am telling you today that we are living in perilous times. They didn't just start, but they're starting to be more often in our lifetime. In our lifetime. And can I just tell you that they're like birth pangs with a woman. That they get closer and closer as a child arrives. And what we need is this. We need a group of people who are willing to embrace Christ as king and run to the world. I'll close with this thought. When everything happened this week, I thought of one verse. In the book of Numbers, in chapters 15 and 16, it tells the story of the children of Israel who were turning on Moses, and this big thing happened, and the ground opened up and swallowed a bunch of the rebels, and the plague started. And God told Moses, he said, look, they're being rebellious. Just get away from them. We're going to start all over. And Moses went and he told Aaron. In the middle there was a fire burning and everything. He said, run into the plague. Pick up the golden censers that have incense in them. And Aaron, you run and stand between the living and the dead. Those that already died by the plague and those who were still alive. And Aaron did that. He went and picked up those golden censers and he went and he ran out. And he stood between the living and the dead. And the Bible says the plague was stopped. You know that's what Jesus did on Christmas morning. He didn't send Gabriel to be born of a virgin. He didn't send Michael. He came himself. God in the flesh. God man. 
not 50-50, not 50% man, 50% God, all God, all man. And he came, and on a cross, he's hung between the living and the dead. He was born Christmas morning to hang on a tree. That baby would become the Lamb of God. Mary's little lamb. And on the cross, he said, Woman, behold your son. Meaning, this is my hour. This is what I was born for. Can I ask you something this Christmas morning? Have you ever allowed him to shake up your world? Have you ever allowed him to be the king of your universe? Or do you just stiff arm him away? Just stiff arm him. Your head bowed this morning. Maybe you've made him king. But you have. Your heart's far from him. Today this altar's open for you just to come and make your way and say, Lord, forgive me where I failed you and gone astray. But then maybe today you have never given your heart to Him. I can't think of a better time. He came for you. The Bible says that He told the shepherds that Messiah was for you. And today, church, He's for you as well.